Just before we get into it, I need to remind you that the Football Index podcast is supported by footballindextrader.co.uk, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. It's challenging times for traders right now and FITs, detailed analysis and strategy guides are helping hundreds of traders plan for success in the weeks and months ahead. And he's busy highlighting the value that has opened up in the choppy market. As an exclusive offer for podcast listeners, you can give the site a try with 25% discount on your first month with code FIG25. Hello and welcome to the Football Index podcast, episode 128. Today I'm joined by two debutants. First up, Trawlers for Ballers. Interesting name. Why don't you explain it for us? <laughs> yeah, I'd say the Trawlers for Ballers name came where I fancied myself as a tipster when I first joined the scene. Wouldn't sound particularly good at it, but that's where it originated from. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I mean, yeah, trawling for those ballers on Football Index is something that I presume a lot of traders are trying to do COVID-19 or no COVID-19. We're also joined by Dazzler FI. How's it going, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, all right, all right. Thank you very much for coming on, gents. Well, Trawlers, why don't we start off with your Football Index journey? Tell us a bit about yourself and how you've come to this point on your FI journey. Yeah, so I'd say I've probably followed the same route as quite a lot of people that have been on the pod already. So started off with the £10, 15 team hackers regularly every Saturday, trying to hit the big time every weekend. and then <laughs> Ever get lucky? Uh, no, nah. <laughs> maybe once or twice. When that didn't pan out as I hoped, I then went on to the match betting scene, fancied myself as a bit more of a sophisticated gambler. <laughs> Again, began to get fed up with the diaries arriving every January from each of the bookmakers and gradually getting gubbed from each of one of those. And then I'd say probably two years ago, I would say it was maybe June 2018, I'd regularly be meeting up with my Scottish mate, Sean M, for those on Slack. And he'd been getting onto me every three months or so. He's like, you've got to get on the index, got to get on the index. And I'd always come up with the same excuses that I still hear now. I thought I missed the bow. I thought I couldn't really work out how the small probability of winning those dividends on a Saturday made sense in the pre-IBD days. And then he kept going on to me. And then he said, why don't you just play around with one to two K for a couple of months and see how you get on? I gave that a go. Probably kept similar amounts in until February 2019. And then began to ramp up as the deposit bonuses offers came in and then gradually just kept ramping up each month until now, really. Awesome, man. That's quite close to my journey, actually, coming from match betting, not being disciplined enough and then just finding Football Index. Seems as though there's still an untapped market there in the match betting world. What about you, Dazzler? Similar, actually. I went down the, the match betting rate. Football Index for me was actually supposed to be a stepping stone to like the stock market and the foot okay. So as I say, I went down the, the match betting route, went through all the sign-up offers and at the bottom there was always football index I had a bit of a look I knew nothing about trading so I was like I'm just going to leave that one I don't know enough to get involved in that but actually my dad-in-law is quite big on stock markets and that would kind of be our bonding subject I'd say so he's also a data analyst same as me so he built those like models to help him with that so I got really interested almost more in the models than the money he was making I was like, oh, I'm really keen to get involved in this. It seems like really good data. You can do some really cool stuff with. So I thought, back to the football index. And I thought, maybe that would be a good way for me to learn about trading with something I'm quite comfortable with, like football, something that I love. So I took the plunge, signed up, and then 18 months, two years later, I haven't left. And I still know nothing about the stock market. <laughs> Gone well. Well, it hasn't gone too badly, has it? Because you, yeah. you recently brought yourself a home, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Feels like everyone has these days, though. Yeah, we moved at the turn of the year and I think basically we saw quite a few like houses which were fine and then we had one which we basically had our hearts set on. We ended up getting involved in like a silent bid. It was pretty nerve-wracking but we got the house and basically I was having the moment to reflect and I was like actually without that money I made on the index we wouldn't have been able to put that into our budget and like quite frankly we wouldn't have got the house. So yeah, well, planted a bit of attention as well. So I thought I'd basically <laughs> by far my most popular tweets. So happy with that. That's amazing, mate. Great to hear. I mean, fantastic achievement and congratulations. I suppose it's a lot of people don't think of a lot of things as end goals, whether it's careers or trading or betting, whatever it may be. I know a lot of people on Football Index doing this as a hobby. And so it should be, should only be 
gambling what you can afford to lose. But there are those who have made a lot of money on this platform and it's served them very well. Yeah, I think actually that's a really important point because you can kind of make this money, but what are you making it for until you actually get something tangible out of it? It's almost like just virtual numbers on a screen until you use it for something that's really going to affect your life. So that's really important to think about. I know some people are against the tweets coming out like that, but I don't think there's any better advertisement for the index itself than hearing those personal stories come about. I think they are really good. I do see the flip side of the coin where we don't want to set unrealistic expectations for new traders. And I also think that a lot of people talk about life-changing amounts of money. That's not guaranteed, is it? It's like anyone who's made life-changing amounts of money has had some risk incurred to whatever they've done to do that. Actually, anything early on in a startup and you get some equity, you've taken a massive risk in joining an unstable company, stocks and shares. I mean, you have to only look at the FTSE and what's happened now with COVID-19. With the stock market, FI, five, six million left the market only a few weeks ago. There are risks that are associated with everything that you do when there is money on the line. And I think people need to, to kind of understand that, right? I think we'll move on to some questions, won't we? Got one from FI Pemkin. He says, more for Dazzler FI. How have you used your data analysis job skills to get ahead on FI? Can you share any example where it's given you the edge? Yeah, so I kind of touched on this, but getting my hands on what I thought was really interesting data was like one of the big reasons I joined the index. And to this day, that's one of my most enjoyable things. So I definitely tried to get an edge using data. I actually think the market's not as data driven as it should be, which as a data analyst winds me up. But I guess a lot of people just don't actually use data. I think like index game numbers aren't massive relative to the number of people on the platform. But in any case, some of the things I have done, so when I first started, the first thing I did was just grab some data on media buzz winners. So this is kind of, as I said, 18 months ago. And it's just like, it's basically just basic stuff, but I just looked at who had won media previously. And I saw you could buy like 10, 15 players and sweep up 70% of media. So that was the first data point I used, the first thing that made me buy players. And that worked pretty well for quite a long time. In terms of PB, I guess that's the other thing that, that you try and get an edge on. Done a lot of things, which I guess if you're on index game, they're not that groundbreaking. <laughs> index game is so damn good at their job that it's quite hard to get an edge on data because they supply all the data you'd possibly need. Yeah, I just looked at sort of typical winning scores, how many times players hit scores over that winning score on certain days. Fixture analysis was always quite big. I know there's another guy, is it Moz, who's like, the guru of fixture analysis say I've got something very similar set up. Obviously, I use my kind of my own rules as everyone would. So that's really important, particularly when IPDs are quite fresh. The other things were like looking if they're dominant players in certain teams in each position. So kind of got to a point where I was like, there's no point holding more than, well, for me, there's no point holding more than one player in a position for a team because often if a team plays well, there's one player that will get the PB. So yeah, it's like little things like that. None of it's like revolutionary, but it's all stuff that sort of helps me make decisions. One of the things there you said was about scores rather than looking at dividend yields. Why is that important for you? Because I think a lot of people get caught up looking at dividend returns when actually there is an element of probability there in terms of what they've yielded. So looking at scores can actually often give a better indicator of how well someone is going to perform in the future? Probability is exactly that. I try and, I guess as you do with most of your bets, you try and bet on something where you think the chance of it happening is likely. So some of these yields, you can get a 50% yield on someone who's just had a one-off freak game, whereas I'm quite keen to see people that are consistently putting in dividend yielding performances, which is why I would always look at how many times they're hitting those big scores. Say you're over 200, you're over 250s. That's definitely my go-to metric. Awesome. Well, you've mentioned Index Game a couple of times there. And just before we get on to it, you guys can use the code FIG2020 for £5 off your first month on Index Game. But if you want to go for a bit of a longer term plan, you can get five quid off their semi-annual plan and one month free there, which is not too bad a deal. As you mentioned there, they've got a lot of amazing data products. And recently, they've got a few feeds that basically incorporate any articles that have come from the media buzz on Football Index and you can see them rolling in as they land hot off the press, which is pretty impressive and pretty useful. I don't know if either of you guys use it, but indexgame.co.uk, five quid off your first month or one month free and five quid off your first month in the six month membership. 
I think it's an absolute must-have if you're joining the index or if you've been on it for a little while. I don't use it particularly often, probably just once a month, but even just having those regular checkpoints has been so helpful. I think even if you were going to use it like, this is going to sound silly, but even if you've used it once a quarter to like review your portfolio, if you're really passive, I think it'd be worth it. I wonder if they ever create some sort of plan for more passive users where they can log in maybe once or twice a, a quarter or something like that. Latest episode was with Tactics Nick of the Football Index podcast, which was Really, really enjoyable. He said some amazing things. I hardly spoke, which was great. I love those podcasts. I've got some questions for you guys as we get into it. I'm asking all the guests that come on these days, what have you made of the market since COVID-19 has spread rapidly across the UK? Why don't you go ahead first, Trawlers? I'd say I've actually been surprised how resilient it's been. So I know people say the spreads are huge at the moment. It's hard for people to take money out. But you only have to look at the amount of money being ploughed in this week to see the confidence in the market even with those spreads in place. I'd say when COVID first came on the scene, I market sold a few of my Harry Kane's, Jaden Sancho's, which was a completely wrong decision, but I thought they're the only ones that are sellable at the moment that if I do need to get money out and the market does tank, I'm at least able to get some out of those players. And then I'd say probably two weeks later, that money's gone straight back into those same set of players. That's obviously a sign of the confidence that the market's seen in, in those players. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, well, a few days ago, my answer probably would have been I've been pleasantly surprised with how stable it's been, but then the last few days, just seen rapid growth in the market. So it's kind of, I mean, if you compare it to everything else that's going on in the world, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. It's going to be a good sign. I guess there are some caveats to that. So like Trawler's mentioned, the spreads, they've had the desired effect. They've kind of held the market up. I'd be interested to see what happens when they start getting smaller again. We've got that deposit bonus on the go as well, which I think maybe a little bit forgotten. I know they reset the balances recently which I think possibly had a bit of an impact and the other thing I was thinking of was I think at the moment we've got the best ever combination of big dividends on offer and also predictable div winners with obviously just MB going on and it being double divs I think that has helped quite a lot in that a lot of the players that people have ploughed into are the people who are winning the dividends and then a lot of that dividends is getting reinvested into those players so it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy so I think the market's great, but I am sort of, in the back of my head, I'm like, these things are going on. So I'd be interested to see how it plays out long term. It'd be nice to see a large deposit bonus at the same time as the large spreads as well, because I think the money should hopefully be a bit stickier rather than people putting money in the last day of the deposit bonus, hoping to take it out a few days later. So I'd like to see the spreads reduced, but not straight away and maybe a couple of weeks after the deposit bonus ends. That's probably a sensible thing to do. I was thinking about it today, weirdly. I wonder if they keep these spreads for a while and just introduce order books within them. I mean, is that a possibility, Dazzler? So I was thinking when these spreads would close up, in my head, I was like, probably when football's back and we're, we're comfortable with football being back. But I did think by the time we get around to then, is that when they were planning to bring order books in? And can they just ride these spreads out to order books? I don't see why, if they're sticking to their plans which i believed was kind of started for next season i can't see why they wouldn't do that mm. it gets people prepped for order books as well really almost accidentally but they've made it clear it's their utmost priority haven't they trawlers it's one of those things that people should be thinking well, i mean not should i have no prior knowledge about this what they're going to do it'd be a very complex time to instill order books because of the current situation i personally don't think they'll risk it but it would be an interesting scenario yeah, I think they've waited till market's a bit more stable before introducing them, but it's good to see the demand from, well, everyone on Twitter seeing going, oh, I wish I could buy this player at that price within the spread. So it'd be interesting to see how it pans out. I think it'd also be interesting to see what the spreads are likely to be like under order books. I know a few people today have been saying, these are the levels we can come to expect once order books are in place nah. as the offer from FI. But I see them resuming back to ordinary levels from two, three months ago, and then the order book individuals offering spreads within that. Yeah, I mean, there'll be a bigger disparity between the greater spreads and the smaller spreads, won't they? I mean, that's just how order books work. That's what I would have thought. It's interesting to see how, when the spreads are that large, that order books are in great demand because a lot of the time they have scared users. Either of you scared of it coming in? Well, I'd admit my knowledge of order books and how they work is, well, a month ago, two months ago, it was very limited. I think I've learned a little bit from hearing conversations on Twitter on your pods. So it is. Definitely something that I'm wary of, but kind of confident that I'll be able to learn it as we go through. And by all accounts, it's going to be good for the market. But I can understand why people are wary about it. Yeah, I'd say my knowledge is limited to markets from the match betting scene in the past. 
But I think that the key point that FI need to get right is the visual side of it on the app and on the website. I think as much as they can keep that the same as the current look and people can continue to bet in the same way as they have before with more advanced users want to use that feature if they wish, I think that would be better. Try and keep it as simple as possible. Is there just an expectation that we will lose some people that just aren't willing to stick it out? Or? I mean, whenever there is great change in any product, you're going to have people that leave. I don't think FI are going to make this big iteration in their product a defining one for their business model without displeasing some people. It's that great a change, but they'll want to make sure that nobody leaves. And if that's their aim and maybe 2% of people end up leaving, then they'll probably see that as a win. I mean, for some people, considering how passive they are, I don't even know if it'll make a difference. It's going to be making a difference to those people who are very trigger happy on the instant sell button. And also, there are some people that just don't even know the difference between instant sell and market sell. Like There are literally traders out there that don't know the difference between those two things, maybe not the people listening to this podcast, but the tens of other thousands of people on the platform that maybe aren't on Twitter, aren't on any community that just are on FI that have just been using it without understanding how it works. So for them, order books won't really make that much of a difference, will it? I always see people on Twitter saying, I haven't checked my port for 12 months and I'm X percent up. So you'll probably just get people pasting, I haven't checked for 12 months. The system's all changed, but I'm still X percent up. So I'm delighted. <laughs> No idea what's been happening, but it's all good. <laughs> yeah, probably. For every 100 counts you lose, you might get one more high net worth individual for that. I know that's been a blocker for, for many of those in the past. has been raised that the lack of order books or perceived liquidity has put them off, whereas hopefully order books should bring a bit of more knowledge of depth of the market and size of the queues and so on. So should hopefully bring some of those on board for every 100 counts you lose, you might get one of those. So mm, That's a great point. Didn't even think of that. The other thing is Jack Grealish in the media. That's been a hot topic, hasn't it, this week? It seems to have just kind of like, it feels like it's like two weeks since that happened, but it's actually two days. What was your opinion of it, Dazzler? For those that you don't know, Jack Grealish was found and fined £150,000, I think, for breaking the kind of quarantine ruling while drink driving, going to a party, all the things you don't want to be doing in this current situation. What was your thoughts of it? I don't think this is something that, FI handle particularly well. I think just the inconsistency that exists and the fact they have to kind of treat a lot of cases as a one-off case and react to that. Like people, again, I saw on Twitter people posting various examples where I think they justified it as saying it's only an allegation on when did it happen? Well, a couple of days ago it happened and they said, but now it's an allegation. We're not going to react to that. But it soon became a reality. And I don't really think they retrospectively acted on that but also just makes it impossible to trade like I saw quite early in the day it was pretty obvious he was going to win MB but I wouldn't trade on that because I was thinking those articles would get taken away and then when you see they're not taken away I saw his price went up 20-30p is that because people are thinking well this story is going to rage on for days and days but then you might find the day after they decide that the story is now an actual story rather than an allegation so they take it off so I think it just makes it really difficult to know what to do, which I think is the worst worst thing for traders. I think that's right. Whenever they're making subjective calls, they're just opening themselves up to complaints. They're not ever making those calls to favour themselves. It's more just the mood of whoever's on the account on that day. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a, a specific rules in place. So I think even just jumping into making any subjective calls opens themselves up to trouble. Yeah, I got the impression yesterday that just whoever was in charge was just like, to be honest, I can't be bothered to deal with it today. I'm just going <laughs> to leave the articles there and I'll worry about it next time. <laughs> I do think at this point, because I was on the side, on the fence of FI should keep it as football specific as they can. With that now being said, considering how messy it is, I am so bored of just not knowing what's going to happen when I see a case like that. Like Eric Dyer, Jack Grealish, all the recent COVID ones, when Dybala and Rugani both got coronavirus. At this point, I'd rather them draw a line in the sand, even if it's like, look, the Jack Grealish stuff isn't going to stay anymore in the future. But at least we know that's where we stand. Like if we just have a set of like 10 bullet points of this is how MB works and this is the line, then I think everyone will be happy, happier rather, because there is a line drawn in the sand. Now, that being said, again, with media, the review coming forward, if that review makes it so that football related words and stuff to do with transfers, for example, are much more heavily weighted than, say, drink driving or punching someone, 
then the likelihood of Jack Grealish winning in the future is probably going to be decreased. Even if he's got loads of articles written about him, they might be scoring like two points each or five points. We don't really know what they're going to do. There could even be negative points. I think that was one of the questions, right, in the, the questionnaire. It was, would you like to see negative points attributed for certain articles? And if that's the kind of route they want to go down and make it very football specific, which would make sense considering this is a football trading platform, I'd get it. I would get it. Because realistically, like maybe as an Arsenal fan, I don't think this is going to happen, but Kane being linked to Manchester United, that probably should, well, I mean, it's not really for me to say, but it's a subjective thing, in my opinion, that that should be probably winning compared to someone like breaking the law. I don't know what your opinions of it are. Or do you, do you just think it's just media and every, everything you should just say? Things like, obviously, people often complain about like haircuts and stuff winning media. I don't really personally have a problem with that. I think that's reflective of that player being media friendly. But it's not a haircut that's the story. It's the player that's the story, getting the haircut. So I don't mind all that sort of stuff. But I think they should draw a line when it's criminal behaviour. Not good for the platform. It doesn't look right. When it's illegal activity and ends up in a court case, that just drags on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And you don't want the same story dictating the media. You kind of want a bit of variance in the stories coming through. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I totally agree. They want the variance, but they also want enough continuity that those big hitters continue to reap in dividends and they get reinvested into the market. And they stretch the market by increasing in price. But yeah, it's, it's certainly something that I think is going to keep popping up in the pod and uh, I'm sure we could sit here and talk about it all day, but we'll, we'll move on. Got a question here from Scott Barber, underscore FI, with the footy increasing to around 156k. Where do we think we'll be by July? And he puts brackets, football return. I mean, question mark there, I guess. And do we think spreads will be back to normal once football returns? Trawlers? Well, I'll be honest, I've never really understood the footy, <laughs> no matter how many <laughs> explanations I've read. But just in terms of like confidence in the market, I'd say if it's at 156 at the moment, I reckon about 170 when the next ball's kicked. I reckon we'll get a big jump on the 23rd of April just before the end of deposit bonus. And then I reckon there'll be a slight pullback. I reckon they'll hold back on reducing the spreads until the date of next football's announced. And I actually see no reason why they shouldn't just gradually reduce them instalments from today. But I don't think they will. I think they will wait until football's announced again. You know, I think if they reduced it before football was back, the people that wanted to take their money out a couple of weeks ago would just then take their money out. There's no difference. But don't you think some of those people have already taken their money out? I think a lot of them have. I would argue a lot of them haven't. The way the spreads are, you're taking a big hit if you do take the money out. So I wouldn't be surprised if people have kind of found ways around not having that money right now. But when that money becomes more available, in quotation marks, they would do that. Well, I think over the last week, we've seen the supports there. So I think if they reduce spreads to 25%, prices might drop immediately. But I reckon money would just filter from the top 200 down to support those players again if they fall too cheap. And it might actually then start generating some commission for FI, the, the shuffling of buyers from the top end down to that lower end to support them. Yeah, potentially. It's a tough call to make, but uh, if they do it in installments, there's no reason why they can't go down from 60 to 40 to 20 over the next three months or so. I just think it depends what shape football will be in and like what month they, they return. I think there's been some hearings today, some bubblings coming out of UEFA that all seasons must be finished by August something. Uh, I don't know, like it seems unreasonable for them to sanction such a thing considering the situation we're in. But they did say, I think, and I quote, when it is healthy to play football. So I guess we just have to kind of see where, where that goes to some extent. The other thing I was going to say is like, I don't think all football will start at the same time. Like each of these leagues mm. seem to be on their own timescale. So if we're saying spreads sort of reduce when football starts, that might be different for England, for Germany, for Italy. So do those spreads change on just those specific players or will they just do it flat once everything's back to normal? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm just interested to see how that will play out. It sounds like the Bundesliga might come back early May from the sounds of it, right? So it should be the earliest out of them. So it'd be... Not really seen much of a shuffle into Bundesliga players yet on that chat yesterday. I'm not that clued up on the situation, but that sounded very soon. I don't know whether people are sceptical about that date as I am, maybe. I think Germany, from a COVID standpoint, have definitely got the best handle on it out of all the European nations. I think they're doing just over half a million tests a week, which is pretty remarkable compared to the UK and other countries. But I guess we can talk about Corona all day, but that's not what this podcast is about. Question here from Hawkins. Do you think Hazard will get back to anywhere near his previous level? Five quid plus. He's currently sitting on a quite big loss for me. 
yeah, I'm sitting on a very similar loss <laughs> and I'm trying to get rid of him with no luck. I was hoping that the Euros might bring a bit of attention to him because I think they are quite an easy group. But obviously, that's out the window now. I think it'll be difficult. I was trying to think what would he have to do to get to that point. So obviously, form has to improve. You have to hope he's taken this year to settle in and he goes back to normal next year. And if he does go back to normal next year, the Euros are then at the end of next year. So maybe he's spearheading Belgium's challenge. So that might help. Maybe if MB opens up to international, in particular Marker, they're obviously all about Real Madrid. So if he's, I don't even know if he is the face of Real Madrid. I feel like he's not really caught on at all. It's quite interesting what you say there. It's like, what does he have to do to get to that next price point? It's quite good at looking at those checkpoints, isn't it, for player prices? Yeah, I think often with players, a lot of players, sort of, we look at the graph, it kind of has short-term spikes every now and then, and then they'll sit at that new level, and then there might be something that, that hits that spike again. Yeah, so they were the two things. He basically has to nail those two things. I did think also as the market grows, which I'm obviously hoping it does in general, does whatever qualifies you to be a £3.50 player now, does that go up to a £4 player or a £4.50 player? So maybe you'll get a bit back just from market growth. But yeah, as I say, I'm trying to get out at the moment. So maybe that sums up my answer. <laughs> I think he's definitely got positives that he's still a forward. Or at least he was this morning, at least when I checked. Yeah, good Euro group. I think he's still got the media attention. Say they get drawn against any English opposition going forwards in the Champions League. He's still got the chance of the media on that side and still got the draw from the English press. He's got that going for him. Would that just be Chelsea, though? Or do you think if he played City, anyone would care? Mm, yeah, I guess so. It's obviously more Chelsea, but I think he'd still get some on, on any English side. Yeah, it depends if he, if he scored against them, I suppose. But interesting conversation there about Eden Hazard. We've got a question here from Builders Gaffer. What a lineup. How did you manage to secure these two? With Euros being postponed, how have you, and to what extent, have you taken measures to adjust your portfolio? I mean, it wasn't too hard to uh, secure you two. I mean, you said you'd have to come as a duo, though. That was your only reasoning. Yeah, I've come as Trawlers plus one. So, for that. <laughs> well, I used to organise our football team. He doesn't really do it anymore. So I don't know why he's still living off the gaffer in his Twitter moniker, but get rid of that. He's one of our friends we've been able to get him to the index, though, so credit where it's due. <laughs> one of few, I guess, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still fighting some losing battles. <laughs> what have you done regarding the Euros then? I think that was kind of uh, a formality, the postponement, wasn't it? So, Trawlers, I don't know how many steps you took to ensure that you were kind of covered with the Euros being cancelled. But some players, like, you know, we're looking at Canes, the Rashfords, big England stars, they haven't really been affected too badly. Yeah, I've kind of accepted I was a bit too late to actually adjust my existing portfolio. So I reacted a bit late to reshuffling existing holds and trying to get out those and reposition my existing port. But I think it's more in terms of the top-ups over the last couple of weeks who I've targeted there. So, I mean, Zaniola, I was quite pleased with him. He's obviously had a big rise this week. I thought him, even, well, Delefeu, not really going to get involved in the Euros as such, but just football getting pushed. Any of those injured players that are going to miss less football have gone for those. And then just in terms of like topping up Pogba, so when I saw him at £7.20 with the opportunity of three months of potential media ahead, he's probably the main one that you go for at that price range. He's never really outside the top five. Obviously, the exit strategy on him is a bit harder, but he's definitely one that I, I went into. Aside from that, just topping up on some of my PB favourites, I think they've not really got any focus yet and probably won't be until there's more certainty. But I gradually see money trickling down back into those as soon as the next football announcement comes through. actually. Well, maybe it was bad trading, but I was kind of lucky that I hadn't really shifted my port that much into the Euros yet. The guys I had gone for were the players who were also in the last stage of the Champions League, Europa League, that would then also be playing in the Euros. I had sort of built that up, but I hadn't bought anyone who would be league player, for example, or anything like that. So I didn't have to do that much adjusting. The one thing I think it probably will impact in terms of my trading is because the Euros are now next year and then you've got the World Cup on the back of that the year after. I think now I'm more likely to look at players that will tick both of those boxes and potentially have good seasons in between. Whereas I think previously I might have got to the Euros and almost drawn a line after that and started again. So I think that's where to adjust my portfolio. They're just looking at players who can, who can smash both of them, really. I think there's almost two ends to it. There's the youngsters who probably weren't quite at the level to be regular starters at the Euros that now potentially will be. And then there's the older end that might hold on for another year to try and play in the tournament or at least stay at a top club for another year in order to be top form for selection. Probably both ends of the market there have probably benefited from the delay. Yeah, that's a good point because I actually 
when it was cancelled, I thought, uh-oh, this is bad news for Ronaldo. He's going to be a year older, a year worse, although he kind of, he kind of goes on as he does. But yeah, it's interesting you say that might just make him have another good season at Juventus to keep himself ready for his big swan song at the end of the year. So it could have the opposite effect to what I probably initially would have thought on him or someone like him. It's certainly interesting to, to think about, isn't it? Like the Euros was pinpointed as such a big thing. And just to round up this question, I suppose, it's always overhyped, I think, these tournaments in terms of the amount of dividends that players actually win from them. And actually the price action sometimes isn't that great. And, and sometimes it can lead to a situation where people need to get out of those holes as quickly as we can. And also I suppose that FI never actually offered up a dividend structure that was going to be proposed for the Euros. So that made it probably a bit of an easier decision to, to hold some of those players. But we'll move on to the next question here by at Wiley by name. He said, I'd like more on how people believe FI are making their money at the moment. And I suppose risk of them running out. Is there a kind of a misunderstanding of how Football Index make money, Dazzler? Yeah, so I listened back to ASP's session with you. That was very informative. I've always taken the approach that they make their money from spreads and commission. Probably considered less how they use the deposits and when people buy players, how they use that money. I thought that was really interesting. And obviously, we've seen in the last few days, people are still buying players. So from that sense, they still have money coming in. There's probably more sales going through than people think like i've had a fair few amount of sales so maybe it's not as much as it was but they're still getting commission from that and with ising it is difficult to is at the moment or i'm sure less people are doing it i think a lot of people did it before they increased the spreads so they probably had that backlog of cash and also i guess one is now at the current rate is kind of equivalent to four or five is's as it was before they increased the spreads so I'm sure they are down on that, but maybe not as much as, as people would think. Yeah, and then the other thing I thought was the majority of the money that they have to pay out is, well, they're paying a lot out on dividends at the moment, but a lot of that gets reinvested. So if we see £100,000 being paid in dibs, it's not like they lose that immediately. That almost comes back as deposits. That's one thing, isn't it, that isn't really being considered. Those dividends, they don't just disappear unless everyone withdraws, which isn't the case. And if the majority of those are being reinvested, then FIA actually only losing, in air quotes, the difference between them. I mean, they've also raised private money, which was, I think, announced a couple of months ago or so, three or four months ago, maybe just before the turn of the year. Is that the Cedars thing, is it? I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was a, a few million that they announced, which is obviously good. I mean, all companies these days are, are freezing hires, they're freezing pay rises, I'm sure as both you lads know. They're basically cancelling all variable costs, so that's anything that isn't like a necessity is being cancelled. Most rents are being massively subsidised or governments are working with those landowners. Like Companies can't be evicted and neither can people. There are a lot of fail-safes and a lot of things being done for companies as a whole to be propped up. And then for FI in particular, I mean, you just have to look at how many shares have been bought off of them to know that, that it's a big amount of money that's going into their coffers through that mechanism. There's also the fact that the five-place dividends is going to see them pay out less dividends than the double over the next month or so in April when that starts. I mean, when this podcast goes out, it will already started. That will increase trading as well. And also the, the later deadline, I imagine that will sort of go towards that. So again, that's that's a way they're going to get a bit more income. And the other thing is, you know, they talked about IPOing players. That is another mechanism that the FI can use to make money, essentially by issuing new bets. Any concerns here, trawlers? I don't think there's any concerns. I think like, the only thing that surprised me, perhaps, is how concentrated the market has become over the last two or three weeks. So if you look at some of the big portfolios, there's probably allocating 25 to 50% to Sancho in some of those. But perhaps FI might not factor that in so much in their like, risk or stress models. But then you could argue the same last year with uh, Media Madness, the amount of portfolios being allocated to Neymar and Pogba. Mm. It's probably pretty much the same. So yeah. I think you've got that. You've also got how generous the offers are at the moment still with the 8% deposit bonus, double dividends. It's hardly offers of someone that's at risk of struggling. I think at this particular moment, obviously, they might not be making money, but I think they've probably been surprised themselves over the last year or so, the amount of money that's gone into youth and then switched from one youth player to the next that perhaps is earning them considerable amounts of money. So not particularly tied to now, but I think they've probably been surprised over the last six to 12 months that that youth craze to that extent. Yeah, and they've probably made a lot of money on those players by issuing those bets. Loads of people buying into the likes of 
Cherokee, a deal with Sheesh, we talked about Mason Greenwood. The amount of dividends compared to the money that's in them for FI at the moment is looking like a decent bet on the other side of things. So for them, overpriced youth players, and I'm not saying any of those three are overpriced, we don't know, they're like 16, 17, whatever they may do in the future. But for them, currently, considering the probability of youngsters that actually make it, it's a good thing for the index in terms of their financial viability to have a lot of money in those players that are not going to pay out dividends in the near future, but maybe eventually for their whole career. Oh, exactly. I'd agree. And the shuffling between them as well, like it's generating commission, so they shuffle from one hype player to the next. Yeah, for example, I mean, there are a few youngsters at United and a few at Arsenal, and a lot of them are quite highly priced. And, you know, if you look at, oh, I'm an Arsenal fan, you've got Saka, Willock, Nketiah, Emil Smith-Rowe, you've got Reese Nelson, got Martinelli. Like, not all of them are going to be mainstays at Arsenal. Some of them are going to do really, really well and play for the club and maybe go on to, to bigger and better things. And some of them might end up in the championship. But all of them, you know, they're not cheap, if that makes sense. So it's quite interesting to kind of think about that as well, that there are a lot of youngsters at teams and different people are going to think different ones are going to be the next big thing, but not all of them are. So that's a good thing for FI. Oh, 100%. You've got like likes of Rodrigo as well, like on the back of winning, uh, was it gold PB day he got a couple of months ago? He's probably fallen 60, 70p since then. So there's definitely people moving away from those players, even when they've shown they can perform. That was great. Yeah, really good chat about how FI make their money and whether or not they're in danger of running out. But here we've got the athletic ad break, as I always bring you and uh, hopefully dulcet tones to your ears. Today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. I really appreciate all the people that have signed up so far using my link. I, I truly appreciate it. It really helps the podcast out and The Athletic are awesome. So you should definitely check them out. They feature amazing football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee and Rafa Honigstein. And they're telling stories you won't find anywhere else with no clickbait. It's just amazing sports writing. So for 50% off your annual subscription, go to theathletic.co.uk slash fig. And it's £2.49 a month if you take up their annual deal, which is not too pricey at all. Uh, Dazzler, what, what have you been buying recently that costs more than £2.49? Oh uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a bit of a chewing gum fiend, so I get three packs rapidly so one of these little 60 piece tubs of chewing gum cost me two pound fifty today i reckon that'll last me three or four days max wow so yeah you've got a problem mate well yeah there is that yeah <laughs> <laughs> i could be reading top content on the athletic instead rather than yeah exactly my, my teeth and getting stomach ulcers or whatever chewing gum does to you <laughs> sign up using uh, yeah the athletic.co.uk slash fig what about yourself Jordan? I was going to say the monthly subscription to Pornhub, but I've got that free this month, so uh, reach out for that. It's supposed to be promoting the athletic, not better things that are more value for money. <laughs> Bloody hell, you've done me right in there. <laughs> I do not have a Pornhub affiliate code, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> got a question here from Index Gomesh, and I mean, we were just talking about this. IPOs, he says, what are you guys' thoughts on IPOs being brought back in this period of no football? There's been a bit of a two-sided argument to this. Some people not wanting money, leaving existing holds, and others saying that it's good for the platform. So where do you sit on this, Dazzler? Uh, so actually, what you said about like they don't want money to leave existing holds, I was, was intrigued by this because I think people normally expect the UDIS, some of your existing holds, to pay for your IPAs, but with spreads as they are, would people still do that? That's what I was just about to say. What are the consequences of that? Does that mean there will just be less demand for these IPAs or... Is it a way to bring in people's cash balances or get people to deposit more in order to pay for them? As much as we can discuss kind of the morality around how they work, but they are often seen as a get-rich-quick scheme. So I would imagine people would want to get involved in that. So I can see it being a way to bring in new money, which I guess is a good thing. I was thinking perhaps from the other side, I mean, there are people at the moment that probably are a bit desperate to get their money out of the index, just purely that are in a tough situation and... They've probably got players listed in the queues for market sell. And I think it'd be a tough time to announce IPOs at a time that they'd be looking for new money to go into some of their players that might be listed, just to give them the best opportunity. It kind of got teased by, I think it was Mike and the CTA. Mm. It made them sound like, I'm surprised they haven't happened yet, based on how they were talking. I don't know whether they backtracked on some of the tech capabilities or there's a more strategic reason, but I actually would have expected to have seen a few by now. Well, I mean, it's not easy considering they were talking about in that podcast, weren't they? That they're built for about a thousand people at the same time buying one single player. And I think 38,000 tried to buy 
Jude Bellingham. So uh, that is what you call uh, a server or whatever it is, not running at capacity, running majorly oversubscribed. They need to basically cope for that kind of demand because everyone's going to be home, right? That is the other thing that people don't think about. Like if you've got 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people at home, whether they're working or not, they might get a better chance of peeking at their phone or maybe getting involved. So you probably run a bigger risk of, of oversubscribing the amount of people trying to buy whatever player you IPO. Presumably that interview was done before all the COVID stuff started kicking off. I, guess oh, I don't think it really. was. I don't think it was. I'm not sure it was. Surely they wouldn't. They would have already considered the fact that everyone's going to be at home. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it depends, isn't it? Like how many, it depends how many active users they have right now. And if they take the number that they expect from the activity on the platform currently, or do they kind of forecast much bigger activity because an exciting youngster's coming on the platform, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I think bring them out through the night again, 1am to 4am. <laughs> Bit of excitement for everyone. Are you working night shifts? No, that's the only one I've been able to get lucky on so far. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I think there's good two-sided arguments for both those things. We've got a question here from Bongo Player. XX, Bongo Player XX. Maybe someone I can get a Pornhub uh, affiliate link <laughs> off. We've got a few questions here. We might only be able to get a couple. Th- <laughs> a couple. After football is back to normal, do you think FI will dump short-term and continue its upward trend long-term? Any uh, danger of players actually falling when football comes back? Depending on what happens with the spreads, so I can see a bit of a dump. I think there will just be a certain amount of people that just need to get the money out. Once they're given that option, they'll do it. I think the important thing to think about is I'm sure if and when that happens, people will go crazy that the market's collapsing. But at that point in particular, I think it'd be really important to actually measure the market from when this whole thing started to where we are at that point, as opposed to the day it happens to the day after. I personally expect a bit of a dump, but I wouldn't be worried about that at all. We would then see sort of the, the continued growth after that. I think it just becomes our new July and August. Like I think people are going to be so starved of football that they're waiting for the new season to start almost. And August has always been that particularly strong month for the index. I think it's almost going to be the same as that, that people are just craving to bet on something again. Yeah, I actually kind of side with trawlers here. I think that the actual appetite for football is so great right now, isn't it? People just want something to, to pass the time with, something that they can be passionate about. For a lot of people in this country in particular, that is football, right? Yeah, if like Belarusian football would be fine, right? <laughs> That's a sore topic today. <laughs> what did you think of that? I thought it was quite funny, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I don't think it was that responsible of them to do. It wasn't. Not in times like these, I don't think. Like People buying into a Belarusian goalkeeper on the back of it is a bit silly. But no, I thought it was all good fun, but not something they should really do as they're trying to move from being a startup to a professional company. I think it's nice that they keep that sort of chumminess or like good relationship with investors and they kind of have that rapport with them that other bookmakers don't have. But then there's a level where you kind of have to cut away from that and act a bit more professional as you're growing your market cap. I can just imagine in the office they were like, this is going to be gold. <laughs> and then the backlash hits and they're like, ah. Does that maybe show a disconnect with the, their traders to some extent, Dazzler? I mean, for me, I just looked at it and I was like, a lot of people are going to take this seriously. Well, I looked at it and thought, there's no way this is, obviously, like, saw straight through it. But, <laughs> yeah, I think they are. They need to be a bit more responsible. Like, so many things you could have done an April Fool's for. It didn't have to be something that would potentially, as unlikely as it was, affect people's trading. I think even the reaction to that, though, shows the reaction when football's going to come back. <laughs> Almost like yeah, people true. seeing that there's Belarus game that they can potentially bet on. People were buying into those players. It's only going to be an exaggerated version of that come, say, end of June, May, or whenever it comes back. I think you're right. Troll as you are. Bad thing, actually, yeah. Lucas Laver, probably not the actual one, has a question here. What is your biggest weakness as traders, and how do you work to mitigate it? I'd say my biggest weakness is I don't realise how good I actually am at trading. <laughs> uh, I'd say uh, I've got loads. Probably finding the right balance between hype and logic. I think Dazda touched on it earlier, but probably both of us are guilty of trying to apply the PB matrix too much when a lot of the index don't apportion that much uh, attention to it. I'd say examples of that, and not to downplay any players here, I'm a big Leeds fan, so I'm a big fan of Calvin Phillips. But like just looking at him, I probably looked at him at £1.20, knew that Leeds had a lot of games on Sky around the Christmas period, and I knew that people were going to show some hype around him. And he's the player that commentators always go on about at half-time, a focus on him. and potential England caller. But then I look at the PB side of things and he's only got 
what, one goal and two assists all season. So for him to ever compete to win PB at a weekend, he'd have to really raise that side of his game to win a PB. So that's always put me off. And the same with Jack Clark the season before. Whereas I think I'm apportioning too much attention to the PB matches sometimes when sometimes people are just looking for that England call up or the next hire for that media side of it. So I'd say that's definitely one weakness. I think my second one's probably not buying players that I personally find really irritating. So Jack Grealish is a great example of that. So I think like his tiny little shin pads and his hair really, really annoy me. So I've never been able to buy into him. And I've probably lost a lot of profit from not doing that at an early stage when I was watching him when he was in the championship. And probably just a third one is, I think myself and Dazza consider that every meeting with our mates to be a trader meet. So we just talk about the index constantly. So I think that's probably a weakness of ours is trying to find some other topics of conversation now we're on the index. Yeah, I can confirm we've lost the crowd a lot <laughs> on nights out. It's often just me and, me and Chawler's in the corner chatting about the index. What about yours, Daz? Bit of a classic, but just not being able to hold the cash balance absolutely kills me. So kind of the way my finances work is I often, I basically deposit an amount maybe once or twice a year and then work, work with that for whatever it is, six months. But particularly like a year ago when like, well, I was kind of knees wet, but I was seeing all this growth. I was like, right, I put this money in. Every second this money is not invested in a player is captain appreciation I'm missing out on. So I end up just sticking it all in to players that maybe tick sort of three or four boxes out of five. And then, lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, an absolute gem of an opportunity comes up and I don't have that money available. So it's not necessarily costing me money, but it's not allowing me to maximise profits. So I definitely say that. And in terms of mitigating it, I think like recognising it is probably the first thing to mitigate. I have got better at it, say... I kind of got to a point where I sold a few players and then I have held that held that cash balance and used it more wisely. I'm getting to a stage where actually I probably will deposit in the next few weeks. But what I'm thinking of doing is rather than depositing it, depositing it all into my FI account, so it's just there tempting me, I'll probably leave quite a lot of it in my bank account and say there's almost two steps to buying a player and wasting it on a player. So hopefully somewhere along that journey, I'll, I'll actually think properly whether it's a good, a good trade or not. We've got a follow-on question here from F.I. Gardner, which probably uh, intertwines well with some of the answers here. What are the main qualities and traits that separate good F.I. traders from bad ones? And also, do you think people revealing more of their bad trades on Twitter would help the community? Yeah, so the main qualities are probably all the things I just said I'm bad at. But yeah, definitely patient. Say, not trying to jump on every single opportunity, but jumping on the right ones for you, like for you as a trader and your trading style. And also just not selling someone as soon as they start dipping like commission is again i'm not the first person to say it but commission is a silent assassin if you sort of shift from side to side you end up losing a lot more money than you actually realize yeah the other one for me is flexibility so i'm all for people kind of having their strategies and their way of their kind of criteria on who to buy but sometimes the market just changes and the strategy you've come up with just isn't relevant anymore so i often see people on twitter almost moaning that everyone else is doing it wrong and they're losing money because of it. Whereas I kind of think, if you know everyone else is doing something different, maybe it's up to you to adapt rather than expecting everyone to just work to your remit. So yeah, patience and flexibility would be the two for me. I'd say the main good quality is probably being able to cash in on the way up and not being overly greedy. So I always try and do that in instalments. And if I'm unsure whether there's still potential rise, I'll sell 50% and so on. And I know a lot of people have that as a tip already, but that's one I've always found useful from hearing previously on the pods. I think the other one is you shouldn't really ever have to react on the day of an announcement unless it's completely out of the blue. So I think like the share split, for example, everyone knew that that was coming, say, two years ago or 18 months ago. They all knew the higher end would benefit and we're all trading into those players and the build up to it. And then I think a lot of people got stung on the actual day of the share split being announced, still buying those players when a lot of people were actually still getting out of those. So I think I got stung by buying people like Hazard on the day when Almost the index was acting in an IPO environment where the price I was buying wasn't actually the price I was seeing on the screen. And I'd already bought into those players already. I already predicted the way FI was going to announce the exact dynamics of it. But you felt the need to still get involved on the day. So I think the thing is acting ahead of the announcements rather than acting on the day of an announcement. So the share split is quite a unique case in that you kind of knew what was coming. I think maybe we didn't know. Well, what did we know? We didn't know exactly how much they were dividing it by. Is that the only thing? I think that was only it, really. That was the only real difference. But a lot of the other announcements are just kind of like a tease of this is a huge announcement. So it's not until they actually 
announce what it is before can we answer it? I think the last big one was the 57% or so increase in the PB dividends, right? And I think in the build-up to that, everyone knew that that was going to be the focus of the market. But yeah, I still think I got overly involved on the day of that when perhaps I'd already been geared up to that trend already. Some great advice there. And just quickly on the revealing bad trades on Twitter, I do think that uh, I think it goes back to kind of does a loop on some of the conversation we had right at the beginning of the podcast. But it is interesting that we never see that, but people do tend to have bad trades and more than they probably realise, right? Oh, we've got lots between us. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we could, yeah, <laughs> fill up the show. But, but... Might need another podcast. Yeah, do yeah, like blooper football index or whatever. But it's a massive cliche, but you learn most from your mistakes or other people's mistakes, right? And I'd be quite interested because sometimes I see some trades like, what are they thinking? That's only going to be bad. Maybe it does go bad, but it'd be interesting to know what they were thinking. But they obviously did have some sort of justification for it. So yeah, just just understanding different points of view and how people view the market and what to do in it, I think can only help traders. For sure. I think it'd be good if it's done in the right way. So I think in more of it's a retrospective, I'm already at this position, this is the mistake I made. Yeah. I think if people start posting their existing position, then you immediately think, oh, they're going to try and get out of that. Or you just look at it and I think it just needs to be done in the right way rather than people almost seeing it as a way of pumping itself. This guy's hit his floor. Now this the only way is up. You don't want it to be done in that way. It's, it's more retrospective. This is a mistake I've made. This is my reasons for getting into that trade in the first place. And maybe I hadn't afforded the exit point or the reasons that exit point never materialized. Another question here from Joel Hanley. This should be a decent one. <laughs> My question, how do you exit a big trading position? Particularly when you know fully listing your shares will instantly drop the price. Follow up question, will you buy my Tangangas off me? <laughs> Trawlers is probably in a better position to answer this because I don't think I've ever had enough of someone to massively affect the price. Yeah, I'd say that I've never, well, I've not often been in a position where I've had a huge position that's going to materially move a player by 10p or so. But I'd say probably the position I had that moved the player the most was in Luca Volchman. So after seeing him in the under-21s last year, I put a big hole in him before he looked amazing. He was going to lead Germany to the Euros. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, buying into him probably only moved him up 5 or 6p. And I think like when you're building that position, you've almost just got to think of your exit points at that time of getting into the position. Like, what is going to make me want to sell that player? It might even be small things of lineup announcements. Is it a goal? Is it qualifying for the next round of Champions League or so on? So you've always got to have your exit point in mind if you've got a material position. I think probably speaking to like Lee Butler before or seeing some of his tweets actually filled me with confidence the liquidity in that lower end. So I think he showed before that he had like a huge position in Crugliere, like almost 20,000 shares of a 38-year-old. And he wasn't at all worried about being able to market sell that over the course of the season. I think the main question is asking yourself how much patience you've got to do that. So if I've got a player that I know I need a goal to sell him on, that does commit yourself to on Saturdays having to be available to market sell that player at the right time and so on. Because you want to experience a little bit of that rise rather than list him in a, at the start of the day. It's all about how much you're willing to commit time-wise. So you wouldn't just have him in the, I guess you wouldn't just have him in the sell queue in case he scores, you would wait until he scores and then... Yeah, you try and rise a bit of that rise on the goal and then market list while there's still a bit of appetite. But then also that's hard to do as well when if you see a potential of him hanging onto PB for that day, you always get a little bit greedy. So it's, it's a very hard game to balance. And often I then try and use the 50% rule of market sell half of them and keep the rest. Again, you've got to think how long do you want to hold that player for anyway, right? Great words there. And I think we've got another question here from Football Index Scotland. Cycles have always been really important on FI for maximising profit, but they've gone out the window recently. Thoughts on what the next cycles are and the when? It's got to be the return of football, right? Yeah, I mean, PB players coming back is surely the obvious one for the near future. It's interesting. It's the first time we've never really had a strict roadmap in terms of when everything in football is going to happen. It's the first time there's been a bit of unnamed. So yeah, I think I can't see past once football's back, like you guys have both said, the excitement levels are going to be absolutely crazy. Everyone, that first gold day is going to be, everyone's going to be wanting that. I'm sure the play trading will be huge. And obviously people building back their port in order to try and win those PBs. So I see that as the obvious one. Yeah, the other one I was thinking of was, we're never that far away from a youth bubble, or not bubble, but a youth increase. So we often get that during pre-season. 
particularly after we made the tournament because some of the big hitters aren't back in time, but we don't know what pre-season looks like. So I'd be interested to see what happens to them. But then I also thought, I mean, I keep hearing that clubs aren't going to be able to spend as much during the summer. There's going to be less transfer activity. So I wonder if there'll be a move to some of these younger players in anticipation that maybe because teams can't go and buy a new midfielder, for example, they might rely more on some of their younger kids coming through. I'd agree with that. I think like over the next, what, 12 months or so, there's going to be a much more congested fixture schedule. You'd have to think that the youngsters are going to be given more of a chance. I mean, I always thought that being on the platform like longer, so I've only been there, what, 18 months or so, would give us some experience of like learning these cycles, when to get onto players and stuff. But it seems like even being on that short period, the cycles are either, like I said, dissipated or they're getting moved earlier and earlier each time or not even happening so the even like late stage Europe that didn't even really seem to happen there wasn't any that buying into the Champions League or late Europe stage that there was the previous year so in some ways it's an advantage being on the platform to have that knowledge but then sometimes you expect that cycle to occur and it's it's not happening to the time frame that you've experienced the previous year people go in so early that the time you think it's going to start kicking off is actually when people start listing and maybe it all balances out maybe there are people still buying in but counts balanced by people trying to get out already Timing has been really important recently, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think that's probably what cost me this time around a little bit in terms of I never got out of my PB players into the media ones for the summer because I thought actually the PB cycle is going to start a lot quicker with the Euros and the new season that that window of people getting off the PB and then back in is probably going to be so minimal that I'll actually just ride it out and not take the commission it. Whereas I think if I'd gone the other route and actually gone into media, it would have been a completely different story. Yeah, I think that's where... A lot of the kind of big numbers we've seen pasted recently are probably from those people that jumped on that earlier, which is obviously the play that. That was the right move to play. On the timing point as well, it's one of those things, isn't it, where if you've accumulated for a long time and they've finally gone up, you're probably really happy. If you've just got in and in at the right time and got 90% of that rise, you're probably happier. But there's no really right ways to kind of skin a cat, so to speak. So it's just one of those things that people need to think about I think that when we see tweets such as you don't have to necessarily buy for tomorrow, you can buy for two months in advance. That's sometimes a safer, easier way to make profit. But in terms of the next cycles, I can't see past PB football coming back. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the market does when that does happen. And we all hope and pray it happens soon. The other thing that's a bit strange as well is that aside from these cycles, there also seem to be periods of like just crazes that happen throughout the season. Like, I think there was the bronze game day like craze at the start of the season where people were all jumping into players who were only potentially going to win a 2p, 4p dividend and they're jumping up 15, 20p. You have that craze going on. I think like probably two months ago, everyone seemed to have huge cash balances and there was almost like everyone planted one player back out and then into the next one. That's sort of distorting the cycles a little bit as well, these crazes that are going on in the background. Yeah, I think the, the cash balance point is, is super interesting. And I think a lot of people are now depositing. I think it's a lot of fresh money that's coming in, especially the last couple of days. We certainly did see big cash balances. Previously, people were just kind of waiting whether or not it's financially feasible for themselves, considering the current climate out there, whether or not they actually want their money in FI, etc. So kind of understandable, to be fair, because there was so much uncertainty in terms of people's actual individual positions when it comes to work and renters and people with mortgages etc now that that's a bit more clear especially for the next three months i think people are a bit more comfortable with the the risk that they're taking we've got a final question here from fi headhunter how bullish are you about the long-term future of the index what are your predictions for the level of the footy on january 1st 2022 and the price of the king of the index then assuming no share split and who do you think will be king wow there's a lot to get into there yeah in terms of future of the index I'm, I'm very bullish as i'm sure all my friends will tell you i'm like absolutely confident that, that it's only going to go better i feel like there's so many landmarks to hit i feel well firstly there's so much of the uk market that's, that's untapped still i think about a number of people that are gambling your fantasy football crowd you're obviously not going to convert all of them but i think we're only a small way there expansion into different countries i don't know how that will play out but that can only be good things and the fact it's just football like football will always be on people love football I can't see a time when people aren't going to be interested in football-based products. The more recognition it gets, the more traction it gets. I can only see getting bigger and bigger. The only stumbling blocks I saw were, well, we talked about order books earlier, whether that makes it less accessible to the kind of average punter. But I think, for all as you mentioned, 
for every X amount of punters that don't come, you might get big fish in. So maybe that, that's not so much of an issue. And then, yeah, it's kind of just up to FI themselves to execute some of their growth plans. They're not always the slickest in execution of some of their plans, but I'm confident mm-hmm. that the kind of fundamental concept where we'll sort of give them a bit of leeway for a few fuck-ups along the way. The long-term potential of the, the index is kind of very hard to quantify. This is such a revolutionary product that we could be talking about a billion pound market cap instead of a hundred million. I mean, there's, there's no limits to how big a piece of the pie that this thing takes of the gambling market, right? Yeah, I'd agree. It's hard to put a number on. I, for me personally, I think that the more they tie it to the PB of the model, which is obviously the main aim, and you can tell each time they're making an announcement it is. But I think I'd like to see, I know everyone mentions tier B, PB is the thing they want the index to develop, but I think it needs to be something like that. I think like, they do as much to increase the dividends each time. But I think people might actually give up the dividend potential to some extent to have payouts on the first and second position. Like, say on a Saturday, would you rather first midfielder gets 5p and second gets 3p rather than an 8p position win? I know that might mean, like, obviously higher payouts for them, but would we favour that in ahead of a dividend increase just for people to get the feeling of winning more often? So I think if they could introduce something like that, that would be popular. Team of the month. Anything that increases the probability or the feeling of winning more often and not needing to cover as many players, I think the index could grow rapidly. In terms of numbers, I think at a lower end, I'd say 50% higher by January 2022 at the very low end. Price of the king, probably £20. And in terms of who it could be, I think, well, obviously having Sancho at the moment gives you an idea (laughs) as the type of player that it's likely to be. So I think it has to be someone with obviously proven PB side or at least potential PB side, being able to high score and assist at a young age. And I think not yet being at United helps. So I think probably Greenwood's been held back to some extent of already being at United. So I think you need those criteria. I think anyone to displace Sancho probably needs more of the media side outside of football if we are going to mm. keep paying media dividends out on that. So either like a, a Neymar type character or a... I don't know, like a Pogba type character who gets involved more in the media outside of the football side would be the main criteria for the next king. Mbappe to the Premier League, maybe? I struggle to think of people that could really usurp the mighty man. No, I had Sancho. I just thought 2022, what, are we 18 months away? He's still going to be young. He's still, well, I expect him to be one of the best players in the world. I expect his PB. Back to back tournaments as well. Yeah, back to back tournaments. Move to a forward. I think that's going to help a lot in terms of like a lot of people say what does he return PB wise I'd expect him to become a better PB player as he gets older but then also be doing that in the forward market which is only going to help him and yeah Paul has said like not being at United will help but I kind of well I'm a Man United fan so I'm desperate for him to come along but I can see him being the face of England and the face of Man United so he's going to get those little crappy stories where he's not really doing anything but it's what the press want to write about I actually looked back a year and a half ago to see who the top three on the index were. So it was Pogba, Neymar, Messi. Two of those are obviously still there. I'd argue Messi would still be there, but for his age, which obviously isn't something that's going to impact Sanche. So from that, basically, football doesn't change that quickly. Players who are good now are still going to be the best players in 18 months. So I wouldn't expect the makeup of the top end to be that different unless someone explains onto the scene. So I had 20 quid in my head as the top price, mainly because that's where we got to before the last share split, when dividends were less than they are now. I've kind of always had that figure in my head. I appreciate it takes more money to, to get people to that point, but I don't see why we wouldn't get that. I was actually looking at so the market caps at, what, 105 million at the moment, and it would take, well, I'm assuming 900 shares to increase by a penny. Yeah, it's about 600, 900, something like that. So if it's 900, it'd take just over 11 million to get Sancho from where he is now to 20, which based on the current market cap is 10%. I was trying to work out if that is feasible or not. But it's not impossible. Yeah, exactly. And there's like, I'd expect growth within that market. There'll be more traders on the platform. Dividends might increase, all these sorts of things. So yeah, I'd say Sancho, 20 pounds. I'm going to hold him all the way there in 2022. <laughs> Fair play. Trawlers, any parting shots, comments? No, not really. I think that's it from me. I think obviously... The period at the moment of uncertainty has actually grown both of our confidence in the index. So 
I think like seeing, even just having the knowledge of how they would respond to a certain scenario like that has filled me with confidence. And the buying over the last week, I think it's very easy to always try and compare yourself to other people on Twitter and think you're not doing well. And I think obviously I've had success like last year and so on. But this year I'm looking and I'm seeing people having these bumper months and not experiencing myself. And I think it's just being patient and knowing, not getting greedy and know that actually you might be positioned for the next craze. Although I've, I feel like I've lost out like the last month or so, I'm feeling very confident in the index going forward. And conversely as well, like if you're doing really well this month and expecting that maybe April might not be as good. Exactly. Where can people find out more about you, trawlers? Thanks so much for coming on. Just on Twitter, really. So I rarely post on Slack. So I go in there to read a few comments and so on, just on the Twitter scene. And yourself, Dazzler, thank you very much for coming on. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm not that active on there, but well. Anyway, he gets a house. I spend a lot of time on Twitter, but I don't post a lot. So I'm one of, I'm one of those people. Yeah, I'm more than happy. As we've already said, I'm more than happy to talk about the index for far too long and lose a lot of friends and, and social nights doing that. So feel free to get in contact. Yeah, only every time you buy a house, you'll be posting. So, uh, well, yeah, exactly. Every time I'm a bit lonely and want a bit of attention, you'll hear about my latest purchase. It'll be bottom of the quiz on Saturday as well. So, Yeah, I forgot to plug that. What am I doing? This is going to come out on Sunday, isn't it? So uh, we'll know a winner by then. So uh, look out for whoever wins the quiz by then. Great quiz pick. I enjoyed my victory. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much both for joining me. And thank you, listeners, for sticking through what is just over an hour and 20. I hope you're not commuting in this point, but if you are and you're one of these essential workers, then uh, keep up doing what you're doing. Amazing jobs and, and stay safe out there. And if you're not commuting, socially distance, full stop. Sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions. There were loads. Football Index is a gambling platform. Only bet what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops and uh, wash your hands. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Have a great day. <laughs>